it's not the technological development that's the limitation. It's the fact that society moves a lot slower. That mismatch is really hard to accommodate. We have a lot of learning and figuring to do before we can apply technologies that may already be available to us. There's two ways to think about artificial intelligence. One is the mind-blowing stuff that computers might do in the future, and the other is the practical but still amazing stuff that computers can do right now. And my interview today covers both. My guest is Chris Benson, the chief scientist for artificial intelligence and machine learning for Honeywell Safety and Productivity Solutions. Now, if you just think of Honeywell as those guys who make thermostats, you should know it's a giant Fortune 100 industrial behemoth with over 40 billion dollars in sales last year and involved in everything from aircraft to barcode scanners. So clearly, Chris is qualified to talk about what AI is doing in the real world, but he also thinks about the more distant future when he worries a super artificial intelligence might treat us the same way that we currently treat cows, sheep, and pigs. Here's our conversation. Without giving away any company secrets, what are some examples of artificial intelligence and machine learning in the real world? Uh, of the kind that you're working on. So, in the real world, um, and I'm in manufacturing and and creating products. Um, I, I would say that uh, robotics uh, is is a great application of uh, of AI today uh, um, of deep neural networks. Perception is is a, is one of many areas within robotics where、um, computer vision, in a traditional sense, is being replaced by a type of AI, which and specifically a type of、uh, of neural network,、uh, which is called a convolutional neural network. The short version of that is CNN, and people use CNNs often for computer vision problems. So, if you're building robots、uh, these days,、uh, and your robot needs to perceive the environment around it so that it can act upon that environment, and it needs to do that in real time,、uh, CNNs are one of the technologies that you might use for perception、uh, in that area, and it is being done all over the place.、Uh, it was once futuristic, and that is not the case anymore in 2018. At this point, the technology works, but we are Uh, it is rapidly improving. Can you give me an example of、uh, just how good these things are, or can be? If you keep in mind the limitation of the tool,、um, which is in this case in our AI tool bo- toolbox, it's a convolutional neural network. They're immensely powerful and often better than human beings at the specific tasks that they are built to solve. And and so when、um, When humans are worried about, well, robots are going to take over and everything,、um, you know, what that really means is that you would have to go and every little bit of perception or task that a robot is doing has to have. A, a model wrapped in software that it's that it's using that does that ex, that exact thing. You're taking all those little bits and aggregating them together to produce a system that allows the robot to function. So they're quite good at what they're trying to achieve, but they're but each of those component pieces are incredibly specific to its task.、Hmm. Look, looking broadly at the business world, do you feel like it, the adoption of AI is happening faster or slower? Than you might have expected,、uh, you know, when you started out in your career. 
Uh, I think it is happening much, much faster now. You can get into AI very, very easily these days with tools that are widely available to everybody. It just takes going in and, and learning the technology, that commitment. But if you're willing to do that, uh, the, the barriers to entry are dropping, and therefore it's exploding. The practicality plus the availability have, have just made it um, – made it a fantastic tool set for businesses to start using. And so we are seeing it all over the world. Companies, you know, there, there are very few companies, certainly in the technology space, but even well beyond that, that aren't talking about AI in some capacity. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's everywhere at this point. As that progresses and becomes pervasive in different companies and different industries, theoretically, we should start seeing some rapid economic acceleration. And I look at the economy and it's doing pretty well, but there's not necessarily a sense that, you know, we're going to double the economy every couple of years, like, uh, like we're doubling uh, the power of, uh, of, of chips with Moore's law. What's holding it back from achieving the kind of amazing, uh, the entire world changes every couple of years promise that we might think of if we think about, you know, the sky's the limit with what a computer can do? AI plus robotics, plus a, a number of other technologies are, are great accelerators to economic growth. Um, whether it would double or triple economy, I think it may be uh, a little bit ambitious, but I think that we are just now starting to really, in a widespread fashion, use te these technologies. And, and as we do so, it's not the technological development uh, that's the limitation, it's the fact that society moves a lot slower. And, and as we are going through human problems, you know, across the world, and, uh, and if you look at today's tumultuous politics, our cultures uh, have not kept up with this technological advancement. And so there's a lot of figuring out how these technologies, as they race forward at exponential speed, can fit into a, a, a world that is not uh, moving at exponential <laughs> speed the same way the technologies are. Yeah. And that, that mismatch is, is really hard to accommodate. And so we have a lot, uh, we have a lot of learning and figuring to do uh, before we can apply technologies that may already be available to us. And so that's, yeah. that's one inhibitor. And what do you see as some of the biggest cultural friction points? Well, we have we have to figure out how are humans and uh, and AI enabled robotics and other technologies going to work together going forward with these these smart robots. We have to start figuring out well the other jobs where do humans fit in? Um, humans are still much better than even AI enhanced robots at many tasks, and so I think there's going to be a, a many years of of uh, AI and humans interacting together in partnership. Uh, in industry and many tasks. If it's a rote task, it may go straight to a robot. But if it requires thinking, there are some parts of a job that a robot does better and there are some parts of a job that a human does better. And I think there will be many jobs. It will be a robot plus a human. And together, it basically supercharges the human. Um, and, and the robot uh, has the benefit of that human judgment right there. And they are operating as a team. And you'll see that in many, many jobs uh, over the next few years. Someday, if AI gets much better than it is today, it would need to advance much farther, then we'll have to reassess and say, are there, are there more jobs where robots are truly going to take over from humans? But we're not there yet. We have yeah. a little ways to go, and we need to think about it today for tomorrow. I wonder if the, uh, if the arguments about robots taking jobs, which I, I agree with you, it's, it's, it's overblown, I wonder if that masks a more subtle way, though, that robots could change our economy, which is they don't replace the jobs of people who are currently working, but they might make it possible for companies 
to need to hire fewer people to do the same or even greater amounts of work. And for the companies involved, that would be a huge PR win, right? Because they don't have to actually fire anybody. There's no headlines about robots replace people. Uh, but they just put up fewer job postings. No one necessarily even needs to necessarily notice that it's happening. But overall, if every company is doing that, obviously that creates some significant shifts for our economy. I think you just now told the story of uh, especially American manufacturing, but manufacturing beyond America uh, as well. Uh, that's really the last decade in the manufacturing industry right there. If you go into a warehouse today uh, and contrast it with that visit into the same warehouse 10 years ago, mm -hmm. there are typically – far fewer people in there uh, doing things, and you see far more robots, uh, and you see a lot more interaction between uh, fewer people and a bunch of robots doing things. And so I don't think that's a, really a, a, an argument for the future. I think that that's already happened. I, I think, and that is certainly a challenge that we have to figure out. Um, I think that it's a complicated problem, and when I hear people saying, we just won't, you know, maybe we shouldn't just put robots or AI in here and stuff, but but that's already happening on a global scale. You're already seeing that. So right. we need to be thoughtful about that there are multiple interests here. There, there are workers' interests. There's the company's interests. Um, and, and then how industries ebb and flow on a global scale. And um, it's going to take some really, really smart business people to figure out what the right balance for that is. And I don't yeah. think that's been solved yet. I have a six-year-old daughter named Athena. And as I look at this world today, I'm kind of thinking about how to prepare her and what I want her involved in. And uh, I'm really emphasizing to her how important it is to learn and have fun with it. You know, not, not, not just learn, learn, pressure, pressure, but, but make, make life exciting and teach things. But when she is my age, uh, it's hard to imagine her world, but I do know that she's going to have to be dynamic. She'll have to be very creative uh, in a world filled with automation and robots and stuff. Um, and, and she's going to have to be prepared to change and, and flex and bend. And I think um, if, you, if there's one thing, regardless of what career someone wants to go into, if there's one thing that they could do to fit into this world of the future, it is – be ready to accept change. Understand that that's going to happen for the rest of your life and your children and grandchildren's lives. Be ready to do whatever you have to do to move forward and and, and flex with that. Don't get caught in the same mindset. Uh, if you're in the same mindset for more than a very short time uh, about today's world, you're probably being left behind. <laughs> so I know that you're an animal lover because I read your LinkedIn bio. And I recently read the book Homo Deus, which spends a lot of time talking about artificial intelligence. And yep. you're nodding your head, which is great. Uh, so, I love that so you're book. ready for this question. Uh, he spends a lot of time talking about artificial intelligence in that book. But before he does, he spends a lot of time talking about animal intelligence. How does your experience in artificial intelligence relate to the way that you think about animal intelligence? So they're very directly uh, related. Um, that That is the other big passion of my life is animal advocacy. And I spend a lot of time with my wife uh, in that area, um, both politically and doing rescue and everything. So uh, even – Sapiens and Homo Deus are my favorite two books. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, even prior to reading them, I had a similar perspective that I'd come to because I'm in these two worlds. And that is, at some point, uh, we will continue to make amazing advancements in AI, racing up the exponential curve. And uh, it will get broader and less specific, um, and it will become uh, more generalized. Now, I don't know when that happens, and, and I'm not talking about today's deep neural networks. That's not the technology that's going to get there. But if we keep innovating for decades and centuries, um, it seems unlikely uh, that you can come to any other conclusion that there will be 
uh, profound intelligences that are much, much more capable than human brains are at some point. Mm -hmm. 20 years from now, 200 years from now, 2,000 years from now, you can pick whatever date you want to go for. Um, but someday we're going to get to that that concern. And so here's what I'm always saying to people as I'm looking at all these these animals in the, the food industry and you know shelter animals that are being euthanized. And I'm like, okay, if you were that future intelligence and you're looking through the historical record and you're saying, how do I want to interact with these human beings that I'm much smarter than? Well, I would argue that we humans today, anticipating that question, should have a different relationship with the animal kingdom at large, um, whether they be domesticated or wild, and maybe um, rebalance our thought as as just being the dominant intelligence on a planet doesn't give you the right to do anything you want because someday we will not be that dominant intelligence. It's kind of freaky to think about it, uh, but that's what I love to, to talk about. It's you know, it's only freaky to think about it by in, in a world of 2018 where humans are have for 70,000 years dominated the planet Earth. Yeah. But if you follow the exponential growth and where AI might go in the next few thousand years, um, it's just hard not to conclude that um, we will make some pretty we and eventually it will make some pretty amazing advancements unto itself. So I just wouldn't want the historical record to reflect the way it does today. Um uh, I've, uh, for, for me, I'm trying to fight to rebalance that. That's what my wife and I do. Um, some people will probably think we're a little bit, uh, loony for that. And I'm fine with that. Um, but we vegan, we try not to have an impact on the, the animal world at large at this point, because I want somebody to go that Chris Benson, I'm a lot smarter than he is now, but I'm not going to turn him into my, uh, uh, Sick. you know, throwaway pet. Let's treat the animals well, just as we want to be treated 5,000 years from now from whatever that superior intelligence may be. Wow. Uh, well, I loved this conversation, Chris, and I really appreciate you being here. Well, uh, thanks a lot. I yeah. had a good time. Uh, you're on my podcast, but you have your own podcast as well, which is coming out uh, very soon. In fact, by the time this episode is released, it may already be out there. So tell us about the podcast that you host. It's going to be called Practical AI. And what we are trying to do on that, I have a, a co-host, uh, Daniel Whitenack, um, and we are trying to produce a podcast that makes uh, AI uh, accessible to people who are really interested in digging in. So it's not uh, it's not for the casual listener. Uh, it could be, but we're, we're actually going to dig into technologies, dig into use cases at different companies. We're having interviews with people. We've been doing this now for a little while, but we haven't released. Um, and they'll have the chance to um, explore different types of AI technologies that maybe they want to implement at their own company. And it kind of gives them a first step, uh, an introduction into all of these little areas. Um, we are being produced by Changelog Media, and uh, software developers may know the Changelog as a podcast. It's the same company that does that, um, and we're really excited. We've been uh, recording now for the last couple of months, and we're going to release the first three episodes on Monday, July 2nd. Um, and you can go to changelog.com slash practicalai uh, to, to, to find out where we're at. Great. Chris Benson is Chief Scientist, Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning at Honeywell SPS. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Chris Benson's podcast is called Practical AI, but this podcast could use your help too, so please give us a five-star rating and a nice review. Maybe even tell a friend. You've been listening to Kotecki on Tech, and I am James Kotecki.